0: Hello everyone, thank you for coming to the Discovery panel. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Sarah Burr, I write for TechCrunch, and with me on the stage, I'll let each of you kind of introduce yourselves, your title, and where you're from. Okay. Maura.
1: Hi everybody, I'm Bora Cellic, co-founder of Jukely, social concert discovery service. We're based out of New York. Hi everyone, I'm David Porter,
2: I'm the CEO and founder of 8Tracks which is sort of a handcrafted or playlist radio service, and we're based here in San Francisco.
3: I'm Sam Valenti, I live in Brooklyn. Um, the co-founder and CEO of Drip, which is a direct membership uh, subscription platform for artists and labels, and a uh, founder of a label called Ghostly International Electronic Music, like Tycho and good stuff like that.
4: Excellent. Uh, my name is Gary Kanazawa, I'm the head of StubHub Labs uh, based here in San Francisco and we recently uh, published a game called, uh, or a, an app called StubHub Music and I'm really excited to uh, to be here.
0: Cool. Uh, yeah, so we have a pretty stellar panel. Um, when we think of discovery, it doesn't quite really convey what we're talking about here, right? Like what what would you really say? Uh, when someone thinks of music discovery or s- discovery in the music sense, wh- what are we really talking about here? You were you I had a point you had a really that. good point right before we started this panel. Yeah,
2: my new marketing director will be proud of me. Uh, it's <laughs> a the notion is is matchmaking, I think, in a way, because if you look at it from the standpoint of the content creator, it's all about getting discovered that direction, mm-hmm. and at the same time, from the standpoint of the consumer, it's about finding great new music. So, you know, in a, in a very real sense, it's sort of uh, platonic music-based matchmaking is really the key.
0: Yeah, so, and, and for Jukely, that's a really good point, matchmaking. Um, I mean, because we're really hooking people up with music they might potentially love and artists they might really enjoy that they never even knew existed. And ju- with Jukli, from what I understand, you have this plan to put people in the audience. Uh, how do you do, I mean, how do you do that with, like, what's the matchmaking scenario here?
1: Yeah, so we have a very specific goal um, when it comes to music discovery, is we ask people a question, how often do you go to concerts, and the most common answer is, not as much as I'd like to. So we said we want to change that, and we can change that. Um, we're trying to find ways through experiments uh, to convince people. It's, it's very psychologically interesting, actually, to change their way of thinking, uh, because currently what we observe, the natural human behavior, is uh, to listen to things that you know.
0: Do, do you want to kind of explain what Jukli is? And it's only in New York right now, but uh, um, if you want to right, yeah, it's sure. only in New York, yeah.
1: Yeah, so I understand. I'll drive to that. So listen to things that you already know and buy concert tickets for artists that you already know and love. So you pay and a plan
0: and you get to go to a certain amount of concert tickets? Or yeah, so that's concerts, a
1: new thing. Yeah. Uh, so the, there's the Jukli regular service that we launched about a year, year and a half ago that uh, learns about what you're listening to and learns about what your friends are listening to. And our our thesis is that we can get you out to more concerts and get you discover more music if we can match you (coughs) with friends to go with based on your uh, collective music taste, as well as friends of friends and showing you mutual friends that you have in common uh, to help you start a conversation around the show. So that's the original Jukli service. And about 30 days ago, we started an experiment called Jukli Unlimited. For uh, $25 a month, you can go to unlimited concerts. Uh, it's invite-only in New York right now. We're going to launch in LA and San Francisco uh, later in 2015.
0: Later in 2015?
1: LA next. Earlier in what? 2015, San Francisco is going to be I th- want probably third. <laughs>
0: All right, well, fair enough. But please, as soon as you possibly can, because I go to a lot of concerts. Um, so, and then, and that's a little bit different from what you do at 8-Track, it's 8-Tracks, it's a, your, yours is a little bit, do you want to explain how you kind of match people up with music they might like? Yeah, well, it's,
2: <clears throat> it's fundamentally like a, a platform for playlist curation, and consumption, mm-hmm. and so 1% of our users act as DJs, in effect, and they'll upload music from their hard drive, uh, or pick music from a pre-populated library, mm-hmm. and then they add, they fashion a playlist that has to have at least eight songs, Hence the name. Do you,
0: do you pick the DJs? Why is it only 1%? So it's
2: it's 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 open to anyone, mm-hmm. it's just that if you look at any social media service, you typically find that the, there's a core, that they're the true creators on the service, mm-hmm. and it's usually around 1%. Like the super users, basically. The super basically. users. Okay. What's interesting, though, is that about a third of our users are the, are the kind of, the people who curate the curators, in a sense, because they'll... Follow other DJs. They'll mm-hmm. like their mixes. They'll make collections. They'll comment, and so those are the ones that are, you know, in some senses the marketing engine for the service. Mm. Um, but the, you know, the upshot of all that is that the other, really all of the listeners um, benefit from programming that runs much deeper. Uh, so you can find really music from any imaginable genre, from every country of the world, mm-hmm. and that's uh, engendered by this notion of the curation, kind of crowdsourced curation platform. Because someone somewhere in the world cares about a genre, and they're going to put together a playlist that represents it. Yeah. So okay. you do get this incredible depth and breadth.
0: Okay. And and you you started uh, Drip FM, and that's a that's a little bit different um, from what he's doing, which is. Can you kind of explain? I'm just going through what they each do, so we can yeah, kind of sure. get into it.
5: I mean,
3: our, my background comes from recorded music and, and, fan, and working with fans and creating mm-hmm. value f- out of music. So whether it's pressing a vinyl or uh, a great T-shirt or just creating, you know, context around an artist. Mm-hmm. Realizing that, um, like Bora was saying, that you already know you like a certain thing, mm-hmm. and our fans at Drip already really love a certain artist or label. So a lot mm-hmm. of them are like Fool's Gold or a mad decent, they already are part of the tribe. Mm-hmm. But the, the internet, while it's been awesome to remove friction, you know, we have every song in the world, we have every video, um, a lot of the good stuff about being a fan of something is the friction, right? It's like going to a show is not an imposition if you like going to a dirty uh, desert rave or whatever whatever that thing is. <laughs> I, I mean, I, you know, we all went to uh, Burning Man or Coachella or a thing that most people probably would think was annoying to do but because we love the culture, we want to be part of that experience. Mm-hmm. And that could be going to a movie, like going to a theater. A lot of people would never want to ever see a movie in a theater again. Mm-hmm. If you're in the film, you enjoy going to a theater and yeah. spending the time and even the money to, to take that in. And so we're thinking a lot about the sort of the aspects of fandom across the spectrum um, and what that means to belong to a tribe. Mm-hmm. And the Drips are sort of communities of artists, like Mike Dowdy and Ghostly and Stone's Throw, who represent a cultural place of belonging. And they get downloads, they get access to to tickets, they get hangouts, they get tutorials, but maybe it's a little more like a fan club than a music subscription platform. Mm -hmm. But I think it's discovery in the sense of, I already
2: know I like a thing, Help me find more stuff like that mm-hmm. as a member. Did you see that article in the, <clears throat> in the Times maybe uh, two Sundays ago, three Sundays ago? Called streaming music left me adrift. Or yeah. Sent me adrift. Yeah, it just kind of speaks mm-hmm. to that very point. Mm-hmm. And the I think the the upshot was that in this new world of everything on demand, uh, you know, you don't have that that tribal identification that you might have had, you know, sure. fifteen sure. years ago, twenty years ago. Absolutely. So it seems like Same. Drip sort of speaks to that.
0: Yeah. So this yeah. is not. I mean, this is not for the. Taylor Swift fans of the not world. Not
3: necessarily. I mean, we'd, we'd love to have Taylor Swift on Drip. I mean, she would have she would have an amazing Drip. She would be... Because mm-hmm. she's incredible on social. And people in-
0: already know who she is, and this is more Yeah, we're about not... It's not
3: about indie, major, niche. It's about passion. Mm-hmm. Like So we have artists that are huge. We have Skrillex in his label, and mm-hmm. he's got tons of fans, and we have artists... Like Bay Area artists like Eskimo and Christopher Willets, mm-hmm. who have hundreds of subscribers. Yours is
0: more like instrumental type music, right? Or is that? No, my label, but that's that's your separate, label. But that's yeah, Dreambeat is, well, is
3: agnostic. It's okay. not about genre. It's about passion and like thought leadership. So mm-hmm. we're just interested in helping have artists have more of a voice to share what they love, and let fans have more of a voice in subscribing mm-hmm. and paying directly for the privilege of connecting.
0: Yeah. How is StubHub solving that with uh, StubHub Music? I, I wrote I wrote the. Article on that, but I, I kind of want to know, just in your own words, and to explain to everyone else, how you are helping people find new kinds of music or music that they didn't even know, or bands they didn't even know were going to be in town.
4: Yeah, absolutely. I think the description that David gave earlier of matchmaking mm-hmm. is perfect because one thing that we learned at StubHub, and especially being part of StubHub Labs, where we want to test and learn quickly, mm-hmm. is that we could take our, our big catalog of 100,000s, you know, of events put it out there, put search on it, and try to let people find things. Mm-hmm. And, the, and especially on mobile, that's not a great experience, right? They're not finding the things that are relevant to them. So matchmaking is something that, that is a great way to describe what we do, which is you know, scanning your music library, understanding your preferences and mm-hmm. things that you like, matching that to, to events in your area, and then serving that up. And once we, we kind of got to, to, to that level and used that model, our fans started saying, yeah, this is what we were looking for. Yeah. So So
0: you kind of hit the jackpot. How do you compete with, I get pitched, I'm not kidding you, I get pitched like on a weekly basis, a new, um, you know, find find bands in town type, uh, StubHub music type app, Mm -hmm. and they're all slightly different, but how do you compete with that? Because there's so many of those out there.
4: Yeah, I think for for StubHub, what what we try to do is within StubHub Labs, you know, the the music product right now is in a, a beta type of format. Mm-hmm. We're getting and you're an working that, on
0: a couple different apps, right? Yeah, yeah. There, there's
4: multiple apps that we're testing. Music is probably the, the, the most advanced right now. Mm-hmm. Um, get out there, understand what the fans like, and then we have the ability to take it to scale to to millions of StubHub users and, and to eBay users since we're we're part of eBay.
6: Mm-hmm.
4: Once we get that formula right, so we want to really kind of hone in and get that right get the, the ecosystem going, find a great fan experience, and then you know, eventually find a great experience for artists to, to reach out to those fans. And then we have the ability at, at any time to, to scale that and, and reach a larger audience.
0: Do you have stats on how many people uh, are able to discover new types of music or new bands that maybe you didn't have access to before? Do you have like, stats on how you're able to help with that process at all?
4: Yeah, I, I think that's something that we're working on. So uh-huh. so right now in, in kind of this first phase we, we just said, let's do a basic match, right? Of uh, yeah. your music interests. We do some recommendations. I think what we could, you know, what we certainly look to do in the future is much more around discovering, you know, new artists that, that could yeah. be interesting to you.
0: Yeah, because you have I mean you have all this data, right? So on top of helping people hook up with bands, they might like you probably have some sort of mechanism to help the artist figure out how many fans are in each city, I'm guessing.
4: A- absolutely. and, yeah. and that's the, the definitely the future vision. Once we kind of get that fan formula right and we're feeling like we're we're in the right direction now, then we're going to have a great avenue for artists and and especially having been one at you know yeah. at, at one time, being able to reach those especially emerging artists, that's great because we'll have that audience yeah. and be able to to provide you know various tools to be able to to kind of uh, access the, the the fan base, learn about what they're looking for, and even, based on the things that they've done and and, and you know events that they've gone mm-hmm. to the music that's in the library that would be solve a
0: huge pain point for artists because it's really difficult i think you know for them to figure out where their fan base really is and where they should be spending their time and what the fans are kind of looking for especially when you're new right that's a- absolutely and and i guess my
4: my perspective too uh, you know looking at the products that you know from everybody up here mm-hmm. is that that there are different elements that are there's many different ways to discover mm. new music, new new events, n- new things, and all of these they're they're not mutually exclusive. They they work well together, mm. and, and I think you know so finding that right combination of things mm-hmm. is probably at the point in the market where it's starting to develop. We got to find what the right you know what yeah. the right formula is.
0: Okay, so and if anyone else wants to jump in on this, on because it's a two way street. It's the fans discovering the music, but it's also the artists discovering where their fan base might be. I think be. you nailed
2: it, yeah. yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. I, I was just going to say, we've, um, <clears throat> amongst our, our artists and label partners, we mm-hmm. found that one of the pieces of data that they're most interested in is really where, So for pe- so on our service, you can like a playlist or favorite a track, mm-hmm. and we can give them information about Uh, how many plays did they get from a certain geography Mm -hmm. and and likewise how many favorites did they get from that geography yeah because that's huge for the venue to know that if
0: they book that artist they're actually going to get people there that's huge
2: and it's also not wasting the artist's time because they know where they should be touring which I think is, is a really cool thing how
0: do you do you I mean do you work with the artist to know that do you have that So we we
2: have some of that that information. Mm -hmm. We haven't historically uh, worked through direct deals with the labels, because we operate under the compulsory license for webcasting, so not dissimilar from someone like Pandora. Mm -hmm. Um, But increasingly, we're getting closer to the labels, and particularly on the indie side.
6: Mm -hmm. One of the
2: things that's very different about 8Tracks versus some of the other streaming music services is that we skew very indie. Mm -hmm. So about 2 thirds of our streaming comes from the independents, which is actually probably more similar in composition to something like SoundCloud. And so because of that, mm-hmm. uh, and because we're uh, one of the few ways that, that indies can get great exposure, mm-hmm. um, you know, there is an opportunity for us to work, I think, much more closely to I, help them. I,
3: th- I think to your point, too, Sarah, um, the competitive advantage that these big services are going to have is who's going to give information to the artists. Uh, even I think we've all kind of over-indexed on social. We all mm-hmm. like, thought that the, the like or the follow was like, <laughs> The mountain to climb, and I was like, uh-huh. "Oh, I got a million and I'm, I'm like set, but like you really don't own that base, you can't really talk to them uh, in the way that's.
0: That's almost like slacktivism, You can like anything; it's easy. Yeah, right? and I just said, "What
3: does a fan being a fan mean?" Yeah. And I think oftentimes artists don't know where their fans are because the, the the sort of faceless mob of social is not really as intimate as it as it was proposed it could be. And mm-hmm. so I think that you're going to see companies and Pandora started to tip their hat to it a little bit that. Uh, they're gonna offer more and more information and data to mm-hmm. the fans and artists as a mea culpa or whatever, or maybe it's a competitive advantage against other services, but that's really more, inf- more valuable in a lot of ways sometimes than money is knowing where people are, Yeah, or equally as important as
2: monetization is okay. access. And probably particularly at the indie level. I'm yeah, how where does, you can do it. How
0: does yeah. Jukli, how do yeah. you find which bands to promote or to offer? How do you, I mean, how do you determine that? Yeah.
1: Let me answer that. I actually had a couple things to Go add. For it, yeah. um, so what Sam is saying is interesting. Showing data to the artists is one thing. Helping the artists access those people, reach them, is another thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I have a promoter background, so I'm more interested in the second part, where how can I reach those people. Right. Uh, so artists, uh, labels, promoters, venues come to us and we can show them. Actually, we have 30 million people in our database. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know where they live, we know what they're listening to, and that's our users and their friends. So when you sign up, actually, you give us permissions on where your friends are and what they're listening to. So when an artist comes to us, we show them, you have this many fans Mm -hmm. in New York, and you have this many potential fans in New York based on some of the similar stuff they're listening to. And you have this many people who are friends of our users that we can also reach. So we can send them push notifications, emails, and we can incentivize to get them to send Mm -hmm. messages to their friends uh, we built an incentive program, that, so that's interesting like that. So people come, uh, concert promoters come to us and say, okay, so let's set up a campaign and reach all of these people. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so that's interesting. And so your second question was about how do we... Yeah,
0: how do you curate who, which bands are yeah. available for yeah. people to go see?
1: Yeah, so there are a lot of these concert discovery type of things, right? And a lot of them say it's the most comprehensive of... So we're the opposite of that. We're actually the least comprehensive. Uh, we want to get rid of noise, and we don't want to be the yellow pages of you know, concerts or whatever's happening. Instead, we want to show you a much smaller subset of what you might like and just uh, hide the stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, the curation process is mostly based on looking at our members' collective music tastes and checking to see how many people will actually receive notifications if you put this concert in the app. Mm. And if it's below a certain threshold, we don't put it. And if it's above a certain threshold, we still don't put it. Because we actually would You want not, the middle. We, we wouldn't put actually Taylor Swift. You don't Swift. want the garage band. Yeah. You
0: don't want the Taylor Swift. You want.
1: Exactly. So we have an upper threshold and lower threshold. So like we have conversations about sometimes
0: so, you're perfect for people to, who want to say, I heard them first, but they're kind of... They already had a little bit yeah, of... Yeah. Um, oh, people
1: okay. actually get insulted when we put Katy Perry in there. Oh, They're like, well, I don't need Lee to discover Katy Perry.
0: Okay. That's actually you know? a fair point.
1: So, uh, I mean. so, we have these conversations because sometimes uh, managers or labels of real popular artists what come to us of, and say... What uh, do you think
0: of Taylor Swift uh, breaking up with Spotify? Like, what do you think of that? Like, do you um, think that that was a good move for her, or do you think that was kind of a move? I don't think that. Move? I, mean,
1: I mean, they have their own reasons, probably, but uh-huh. I'm, I'm a supporter of, um, you know, services like Spotify, so I I personally
0: yeah. here, wouldn't approve such a move. This is what yeah. I think is so interesting, because we all, I, I'm pretty sure that most of us in this room, I don't see any, like, teenagers here, uh, grew up in the era of Napster and Discovery, and that was the first time we were ever able to That was the first time I was, I was in high school, so it was the first time I was ever able to say, uh, have access to bands that I've never heard of before all over the world, and was it piracy? I I mean, they they lost the lawsuit on that, so probably yes, but I felt like it was justified at the time because I never had access to those artists before but now we have a way to get access to the artist and I don't think I don't think most people were doing it to rip off the artist I really don't I think most of it was we just wanted to listen to music that wasn't pushed to us on the radio all the time
2: and one of the coolest things of the Napster 1.0 service and actually in many ways was the inspiration for the original business plan for mm-hmm. a was something called the Napster hotlist list button does anyone remember that yeah the hot list button. So essentially, if you were were downloading um, music that you were into, and the the same user's name kept on cropping up time and again, you're like, okay, I probably have something in common with this person in in terms of musical taste, so you could click on their name and then click hot list, and it would show you all the other mp3s on their hard drive. So it was really the first form of like online social music discovery back in the day.
3: I think the top eight on MySpace was a continuation of that too. I think You could see what you, your favorite artists
2: listen to.
6: Mm-hmm. And
3: that was a huge revelation. I mean, it was like, oh, that actually was more interesting oftentimes than the music they made. It was right. the, their communities and you could go in a wormhole just like a Simple. Napster. And I think it, mm-hmm. those, those inform our, all of our companies, mm-hmm. that impulse to want to connect with people at the level of taste, mm-hmm. is, that's, that's what makes you feel like you belong to the world. I,
1: I question you know? the top eight right now. OK. Because when Eight's top eight number. was popular uh, or well, no, just the right top 10 favorite yeah. artists, yeah. 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 the MySpace days 10 years ago, Like, if you ask me what your favorite bands are, it could be like Raging's Machine, Faith No More, Alice in Chains, whatever. Mm-hmm. Like I had, I had the list. I don't have it anymore because we listen to so much more music mm-hmm. through services like Spotify. I I wouldn't remember. I mean, today I'm listening to Knife Party this morning, They're, and the latest album is great, but tomorrow it's gonna be something else. So sure. I think the concept of hardcore fan, like in, in our observation, is not what it used to be. Mm-hmm. So hence, like, we exist because, I mean, obviously there's like the Sonic Kick and bands in town. They've been around for a long time. They've done an amazing job. Mm-hmm. With the You know, when my favorite artists are coming to town, let me know. But no, what I get disappointed I in the is, top
0: 10, too, because I think yeah. this is really what everybody likes, really. Like, this is this is the top 10. This well, is, so I how's think how's the favorite
1: artist concept has changed since those companies started, right? Mm-hmm. It's been like eight, nine years. Well, who are my favorite artists? I don't know. So then it's noise.
2: Yeah. Well, it's, it's a good point. I mean, just a lot, most people are listening to a lot more music than ever before. Mm-hmm. And I think that's actually kind of the, the counter that a few people have made to the, the issue that people have had with, with artists not making as much money from Spotify. Mm-hmm. And the the thought process is that just more people are listening to more music down the tail, mm-hmm. and so the same level of consumption isn't happening amongst those top artists. I think the issue
3: too, the Spotify thing is a bummer to me, the fight, public fight, is because I think it disenfranchises fans again. I think we have 15 years here between Spotify and now, or whatever the time frame is, to get it right, and I know mm-hmm. Spotify was a way to do that, yet we're still, as a music industry, fighting over a lot of certain things in public, and I feel like the fan who actually wants to listen to Taylor Swift on Spotify is like, I don't care about the business model, or what What are you, what's the issue? It's like, I'm paying money for music again, you got me back into the system, and now you're telling me it's not good enough to be paying for music. Like, I mm. think it's like very, it's very inside baseball, it's very like, mm-hmm uninspiring as a fan to watch this happen. It's like, well, what does that mean? Like, I want to talk about the music, I want to talk about the artists, but this, and I know it's about artists getting power back over to corporations, but I feel like the narrative has been so screwed up with uh, music and monetization that, if I'd be very confused if I was a young kid right now and knowing what was right, what was wrong, hmm. is buying a CD the only way to support Taylor Swift? I don't, I don't know. It just feels, it
4: just feels um, a like a
6: missed backwards. opportunity. Yeah.
4: I guess from my perspective, the thing that we're trying to focus on is really just um, taking the signals that, that 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 user has, and and it's probably overuse as a buzzword personalization, and really trying to figure out you know what what is the way to take this big universe that we've been talking about mm-hmm. and bring it down to something that that's relevant, right? And and it's a it's a difficult problem, and there's all sorts of buzzwords in there: big data, you know, uh, relevance, things like that. Uh, but it's really true is that you have a lot of signals, and if you're able to everything from what your friends are doing, you know what uh, the, the things that are currently in your playlist, you know th- things that are that are trending, and it's going to be the the combination of things and trying to find help you find what's relevant for you at least narrow that universe. Mm. That that's the big challenge that that. It hasn't been cracked yet.
2: Yeah, I think that's the biggest driver of value on the internet broadly, and certainly for music, is just reduction of choice. I mean, the beauty of the internet is just you have so many options available at your disposal. The curse of the internet is you have so many options available at mm-hmm. your disposal, and you, you need some way to filter that. Mm-hmm. I think we talked about it a little bit earlier, but it seems like <clears> in the world of music, um, you know, there's there's a handful of things that um, allow you to find what's most relevant and kind of you know adjust the signal versus noise ratio. Uh, one is curation. Uh, Another is sort of the algorithm, and a third, which I guess is kind of like curation would be sort of editorial, Mm -hmm. Um, but I think we all represent different bits of that. You guys use algorithms uh, at the outset to help kind of figure out what someone's taste profile looks like, right?
1: We're we're, we're reversing that to be more human now, Ah, actually. good choice. I'm getting bored of algorithms. (laughs) Should we,
0: you know what, I would really like to hear from the audience, do you guys have some questions for them about uh, what each of them are working on in terms of matchmaking artists with fans? We've got this lady right here. And and please stand up and and speak loudly. Oh, there we go. Thank you. Um,
4: Hi, Lisa LaMagna. I'm here with uh, Boza from South Africa. Question is, uh, you two and Apple and this forced discovery. Okay, it was kind of a debacle. But what did you learn from it? Or what did you find interesting about that?
2: The, the single thing I found most interesting is how few millennials have heard of U2. <laughs> I don't know if you saw some of the, the there's a Tumblr devoted I think it was who the is YouTube? And I'm just like, oh my god, I have no idea. I just assumed everyone knows who U2 is.
0: We have We had some a gentleman back in the back.
1: Yeah, I had a question around the discovery. I don't need the microphone. I'll go ahead and Um you, you both touch on a topic and I'm a layman, I come from finance, so this is music in a, a year and a half for me. When you have an established band or an established fan, I can see the connection, but what about when you don't really know what it is, and perhaps, that you're looking to listen for? Or What about when that band doesn't know that they have a sound that we're waiting to hear? How does that happen? Yeah. Hmm. Um, I can take that. Actually, this is something we're talking about right now. with with the unlimited uh, offering that we have, a lot of the initial artists that we have are kind of breakthrough newer artists that you may not recognize. So uh, we made a very in- interesting and difficult design choice. So we first launched the service, which is usually you know scroll down the listings of artists. But the first thing you notice is I actually don't recognize these names. So human psychology is when you don't recognize the name, you keep scrolling down until you find something that you recognize. And then you scroll up and down quickly. I don't recognize any of these names. So this is not what we want, right? The way we're building Truely Unlimited as an artist development platform, and we want to address what you just said. I don't know what I don't know. Like, I may like this, but just because I haven't recognized the name, I don't know. So we change that so it's one artist per screen right now. So you won't be able to quickly scroll down. And we highlight. Um, Name is a really small part of it. We try to make the name really small. So like immediately, video starts playing, huge artist photo, and try to uh, change the behavior from, oh, I don't recognize any of these things, to, oh, this actually sounds pretty cool. I might like it. Um, And initially, it got a pushback from the initial set of users saying, well, I can't quickly navigate and see what I would know. I'm like, exactly the point. You shouldn't quickly. Give it a chance.
2: We've had kind of a similar problem when we first launched because uh, under our licensing we can't show the track listing of the playlist in advance so people would go to a playlist and be like what the hell i can't see the tracks how don't I, I like this and so you kind of have to just trust the dj and you see one track at a time there's a couple skips that are allowed but you really have to be dependent on the the quality of the dj i think one of the things that i've noticed is that that
4: there's kind of a, a little bit of a tension between being a utility and being able just to find something quickly and being entertainment and being able to browse. And there may be two different user models, mm-hmm. and you got to find a way for those to coexist. For, there, there might be a mode of, I just want to find out what's going on near me on, on Friday night. Mm-hmm. There's another mode of, hey, I, I got some time. I have five minutes or ten minutes. I, I want to go and, and explore a new artists. And finding a way to, to really meet both of those kind of user needs uh, will be something that, that we'll be looking at as well.
2: And as you say, that's kind of the traditional model for radio, where you have familiar tracks or familiar artists, and then sandwiched between those, you have a new artist. And that's yeah. how they get introduced. So I think everyone has a certain degree of musical adventurousness versus desire for familiarity. So I think it's all about balancing the two.
1: Yeah. So I, I have a, a DJ friend. His name is David Waxman. He works at Ultra Records. Uh, he told me one day, uh, how do you, I told him, how do you pick the tracks you're playing? He said, one for me, two for the crowd. One for me, two for the mm-hmm. crowd. Nice. So that's kind of yeah, yeah same you know, concept. Yeah, That's, that's good. That's well,
0: cool. yes. Gentleman right here. Wait for
7: the mic here. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Hi. John Starr with Radio Lands. Um, how do you read the fact that most people still use AMFM for music discovery even above YouTube as self-reported in, in different uh, reports?
2: I think it's just ubiquity in the car. It's probably the single biggest factor. It's just easy. You know, people will sacrifice choice if it, things are super easy. Hmm. Same reports
7: show that more people listen on their computers than listen in their cars. Mobile's not far behind. Mm -hmm. Even with the proliferation of tons of companies that are trying to solve this problem, 15 years after Napster, AMFM is still kind of ruling the roost on this. And it would seem that the curation aspect of that
2: speaks to something, almost exactly what you were saying about having familiar songs and then new music. I could see that with certain radio stations like KCRW, but so much of the um, you know radio stations that have been bought up since the dereg in 1996 have pretty homogenized playlists. So I don't think that that value of curation that you had in the 70s and going back in time is kind of lost. So maybe it's the human voice. Maybe it just p- makes people feel comfortable to have like a right. human voice mixed into the you know the NPR is come
3: away, as a label. I can attest to the value of NPR as a musical. Uh, discovery vessel. It's bigger a lot of times than late night television. I almost rather have an all songs considered mm-hmm. show on an artist we work with than a late night spot. It's just become uh, more meaningful. I think to the third point about like editorial, the ones who are doing it right still represent or Hot 97 in New York, and there's still some strongholds that can break records. Right. And also, I think it's nice to be to receive and be to be passive and just enjoy, trust the DJ, like you said. So, I don't know.
4: Yeah. I think there are some, some key things like uh, that as you listen, there's different models. And you're sitting in the car, you're listening to different music. Uh, a key thing is being able to bookmark those, right? And, and things like Shazam allow you just to say, oh, wait, I want to remember that for later. And so, uh, you know, a lot of these start joining together.
0: Right over here.
8: Hey Justin Zubnick, Um, I'm wondering if you guys can reflect on what you just touched upon—basically integrations with other services uh, for Mm -hmm. data—and as well as you know, output to other services. Like Atrax has an API to work with other services.
2: Yeah, we've um, we've always wanted to have a pretty open platform, Uh, so. We've had, in fact, the I think our first Android app. Someone, uh, a developer out east, just basically built the app for us because they loved he loved eight tracks and wanted to have an app for it. Um, we're available on Sonos. Um, uh, we had a Spotify app that never got launched, unfortunately. Uh, there's a few other like Windows 8, BlackBerry. So I, th- I think I think it's important to kind of be available, kind of wherever the dial is, and so that's that's the approach we've taken. I think the car is the next frontier.
6: Hmm.
4: I agree with that. I mean, I, I think you definitely don't want a closed platform, because as we talked about, there's all these different signals, and they come from different places, and so our ability to, to all you know, kind of work together and collaborate, partner with each other, get the, the all the different kind of pieces of data that, that are that are coming in, I think it's going to just create a better experience for the fan. Mm-hmm.
0: For both, I mean, for both Drift FM and 8Tracks, that's actually, you brought up the car, and you brought up AM FM stations. I mean, there's a reason why podcasts are still wildly popular. You know, they've almost seen this resurgence because people spend so much time in their car and listening to, you know, NPR or a podcast or the radio. For that very reason, do you have plans to create apps for? I mean, as we're seeing newer cars come out with,
2: we have we have one today um, mm-hmm. with Radio Aha. Mm-hmm. Um, I think. You know, I think the most reliable bet in this whole market is probably the um, OS's, you know, the, I guess it's called CarPlay Mm -hmm. on the Apple side Mm -hmm. and the Android equivalent. So I think, you know, given limited resources, that's where we'll focus our attention. Um, I know there's bespoke solutions that certain automobile manufacturers have put out there, Mm -hmm. but we haven't, you know, we just haven't, we don't have the. It's so new. Sized to, yeah, yeah, it's hard to know what's going to win, but I, th- I, th- I think it's a pretty safe bet that the Apple platform and the Android platform will be adopted.
0: Mm-hmm. I saw some hands. This one, for yes. The
2: sake of just counter, oh, sorry, for the sake of just like a counter
7: um, opinion or idea, like I don't drive. I well, I have no car. I haven't had a car for like eight years. I ride my bike everywhere. Yes, when I do drive my wife's car, I'll listen to All Things Considered, This American Life. NPR, KCRW, all that stuff, but do you think everyone's just trying to pump all this money in, into the car because it's, you know, there's just so much money behind it, or do you think there's you know, People solution? spend a lot of time in their car. Yeah. Even though
0: you're in a big city where you don't necessarily need a car, middle America drives a lot.
7: Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's true. But I'm just curious, how to, like, what it, for a long-term solution to problems. I guess I'm just being
2: a hippie. <laughs> well, there's the, there's the, <laughs> I'll leave it at that. A, I think it's a fair point. There's the, the simple solution, which is you just plug in your iPhone to like a stereo jack and you're on your way, right? You don't really need too much more for many people. Um, but people, I, I've seen the numbers from like Arbitron or Edison or someone, but a significant proportion of listening to music, whether it's radio or otherwise, is in the car. So I think they're just trying to address that, that slice of the pie that you know hasn't really been, gone all digital yet.
3: I think the type of people who are, on this panel, or um, well, the customers that use our services, a lot of our services are probably, like everyone here is the center of their own world. So you're on your bike, I'm guessing, I don't know if you use headphones, but your the goal is that you can find what you want quickly and efficiently and zero in on it with a, look, you know, a, a degree of, su- and yeah, it. and I think like <laughs> everybody has their own use case whether at, at work or we have a Sonos in our office now and that's a fun use case is it's social, it's like, we're context shifting i think everyone's obsessed with like what's the the winner but it's a lot of like you were saying it's a lot of things in a lot of context and a lot of use cases and we're just i think we're all trying to sort of in this room this whole conference figure out like making each of those experiences better incrementally and or by a, by a landslide ideally but um i think that you know, the car, right. I think it represents the American, like, uh, the dream. place of the dream. Yeah. <laughs> and also, I mean, it's like the Starbucks, like the third, the third place, like everyone assumes the car is where everybody's going. But um, I think the we obviously know it's mobile and obviously people are so obsessed with the home environment and like how we create a, a full seamless day of the stuff we like coming to us and like finding us where we're
1: at. So <sighs> it's a great question. Pe- people are saying Uber is going to take over the car, so maybe when we get in an Uber, it'll know my yeah. music taste and start playing. <laughs> I like that idea.
0: Or the well, Google self-driving car having that ability within it.
4: Well, yeah. as the cars become connected, right, and people are already mm-hmm. using their, their phones for, for music in the car, but when the cars themselves which is starting now be, become connected, it just becomes another
7: touch point. Yeah.
0: yeah. Right
7: here. Hi there, uh, Dennis Constantine from Live 365. Uh, I moved over from, uh, from radio to the digital side a couple of years ago. And uh, the people in terrestrial radio are freaked out about what's going on. Uh, and Arbitron, now Nielsen, that measures them, uh, it's amazing to see how small the sample size is. And they take the sample size and they multiply it to get these population estimates. But li- basically they have five, six people listening at a time to a radio station and then they multiply that here in San Francisco i think there's only um a couple hundred families that rate radio for all listeners and uh it's very suspect but then nielsen comes out and says that 94% of the people are listening to the radio nobody really knows hmm. and i you know i i tend to see that radio is um way undermeasured uh it, and, you know, because of the sample size They put an interview on the radio, and they see that people tune out. Their 6 list meters go down to one meter. And they say, well, we can't do interviews on the radio anymore because nobody listens to interviews. So people in radio are very concerned about what's happening, but uh, it's wide open.
2: And I think right now, according to Pandora's last 10 Q, uh, it represents like maybe ten yeah. percent of music of radio listening somewhere mm-hmm. in that range, right. so there's still a lot there's another ninety percent to be cannibalized
7: well, and you're you know you're dealing with real numbers with Pandora and these estimates with radio, and the the radio estimates are way out of out of, out of kilter
0: I see where you're going with with that, but i would I would argue that stations like NPR stations like KUER are a totally different beast.
7: Absolutely. Yeah, Yeah, public radio is doing very well. Yeah,
0: I mean, KUER is one of the most well-funded public radio stations in the country. It's the most well-funded NPR station in the country. Right. uh, Because they're constantly doing fund drives. Yeah. But, I mean, if that's any indication, people are listening and giving a lot to that. And
7: they're way underrepresented in the the meters because the, the, the tendency of the meter holders are, Lower income, people who need the $100 a month they're going to get for carrying the meter around for two years, which looks like a pager. Nobody wants to carry that around. So it's, it, the whole thing is skewed.
6: Hmm.
0: Hmm. What do you guys have to say about that? <laughs> well, I would think that you would be in favor of. Saying yes, it's skewed because you have a different model than. No, I mean, I, well, I
3: don't. I might, what we're doing is very different. It, all, it relates. We need more people discovering more music mm-hmm. at, at all levels, so that people can become fans of music and go to yeah. shows and, and right. buy experiences, whatever they are. Like, it's not. I don't think you can have like a binary or like zero-sum attitude about mm-hmm. music. Like all of it is good. And that's mm-hmm. why I hate when I see public friction around con- like con- platform wars because mm-hmm. it's not really about. I evolving actually, the narrative. I actually you know? can't
0: remember the last time I listened to regular commercial radio.
3: Sure, it's like rental car situation, but X- XM or yeah. your podcast on your phone. Like we're. Everyone's but then I'm also got, not I'll, middle we'll, we'll America. We have alternatives now, and I think yeah. like we, everyone who is wants to exercise then can. So we need to think more about like what feels good about music, and obviously going to shows has been validated as like mm-hmm. a, a sure fire thing. Right. Um, and I think also the impulse of creating, like I'm surprised, I always say this, but the Instagram for music, in a lot of ways what David's doing with 8-Tracks is being a creator around the, the feeling of music, not just making it, but mm-hmm. contextualizing it, like everybody is a DJ. That's a huge
2: opportunity that needs to be further explored. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, yeah, the context part <clears throat> is kind of interesting. We, uh, like I mentioned earlier, when a DJ on 8-Tracks makes a playlist, they can tag it. With mm-hmm. any kind of freeform descriptor, and we did that originally so that we could pick up new genres that might be bubbling up somewhere in the world. Mm. What turned out to then that's been true, but what's been even more interesting is that the DJs will tag their playlist by some kind of human context. So, what am I doing? How am I feeling? So, mood and activity, mm. and so it just becomes you know if you browse the the tag selection on Eight Tracks, you'll see a lot of tags that really correlate to different times during your day. So, you can pick a study playlist. Coupled with uh, indie rock, then you can when you get home you could do a you know a workout playlist. That makes with perfect techno. sense, yeah. Because you're, yeah. Not, I mean, songs that obviously yeah.
3: was acquired by Google around that premise. And, yeah. You know, and and I think you're going to see a lot more music everywhere all the time.
6: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, it's just how you want to be in touch with it. If it's totally passive, it's more of a Pandora situation. It's great. If it's very direct and intimate, which is what I'm focusing on, is the actual narrative of. Talking to creators and like being like you're in the room with them because a lot of these, a lot of platforms don't really have a lot of personality. They mm-hmm. want more of like a green room experience and less of uh like you, a yeah, you
0: give like special backstage passes and different yeah, or the feeling of yeah. like I can
3: ask a question and the creator might talk to me. Mm-hmm. And that's that's that's, awesome. some, that's a thing that's not totally been fleshed out yet. Mm-hmm. And so all of us are trying to figure out what where. The type of user wants to be and how to make them really happy—that's mm. what we should be focused on. I think.
1: So, okay. the interesting thing is, I actually see uh, Kyle Bylan there uh, in the audience. He spent a lot of time at Live Nation, and you know, he wrote a lot of articles. And our relationship kind of started with a friction on Twitter because he—I thought he was a music discovery hater. that we met in LA for coffee, and then I saw his uh, perspective, and you know, kind of became friends that way. Um, that but I guess one of the things that he came up with is like people actually aren't looking f- to discover music, uh, but it, if it comes to them, they are delighted, right? So, you know, we thought about that a lot as well. Why aren't we looking to discover music? Because it's not a high priority thing in our lives unless you're like a hardcore music fan, but it's what are the high priority things in our lives? You know, our jobs, our relationships, you know, love life you know, apps. financial situation, things like that. By our the time- product
3: Hunt is way more interesting than any music chart, you know, and like, that's just a fact, just like apps engender our, or make our life feel more yeah. vital the way that music did mm. at some point. And I think all of us, all of us in this room care about music the same way as we do about apps, but mm-hmm. the priority music has fallen in the ranks as far as its cultural relevance to the public.
0: Actually, you can challenge me on
3: it, but it's... it's no, no, uh, no, I
0: think you yeah. brought up a really good point in that yeah. I wish there was like a Product Hunt for music for people to kind of like mark up new kinds of bands and I've heard that Product Hunt might be working on Sure, that. sure.
2: I'm sure they are.
0: But maybe somebody else is also well, it's working on It was kind of like Hype it.
2: Machine back in the day. Hype, Hype Machine is still yeah. amazing.
3: Yeah. The Hype Machine app like. is incredible. Um, mm-hmm. There's a service called Tunnel uh, with the V instead of a U that's built on top of RDO for matchmaking. Drip just launched its first free drip. If You join for free, you get a song, a couple songs a week, just curated from our drips. Mm -hmm. There's no shortage of music. I think, like to your point, water, water everywhere. It's like (laughs) we don't need another new favorite band. We want the right band, the right time, Mm -hmm. the right context. I think that's so. That's the
1: serendipity of it, right? So like, music and what what is it? Maybe number eight or nine priority in most people's lives, but. You know, you don't get to it. Sleep. So then you forget about it, right? So hence the whole awareness problem. You know, the biggest problem is awareness, we, which it is. But because we run, we run out of time, we we run out of the day at mm-hmm. the end of the day, and we haven't discovered music today because I was super busy with life. You know, music is secondary. But really to good life. music right, makes that's your life a lot better. Well, when you're
3: in love with the song, your life is like in the red, and it's awesome, but it's hard to fake time to find yeah. that moment. Yeah.
2: But I think the other important point about music is it's one of the few forms of media that you can consume while you're doing other stuff, right? You can be playing music while you're, when you're at a party, when you're reading a book, when you're studying, while you're working, working out, whatever. Most other forms of media, you can't do that. So I think, you know, I think you're right, Kyle, in that the music discovery can be pretty boring in many ways, but if the music discovery component can be integrated into you know, a passive, lean-back, radio-style experience, that is relevant for what you're doing at a certain point in time, it sounds like I'm pitching eight tracks now, I guess I am, but that's a, that is a, I think that is a way that discovery can be accomplished and, and not be uh, so boring.
6: And, to you know. your
3: point about U2, it felt like an imposition, it didn't feel like a discovery, it felt like breaking and entering to most people. Even if they did like U2, it was like, I didn't really want that right now, I didn't want to start downloading a file, like,
0: I think that's can- so terrible, though, for U2. They're thinking, we gave this to you for free and everyone...
3: Was right. mad. So it shows like, how. I'm sorry, context. I gave you a
0: free track. You don't have to listen. It also shows to it. how important I...
3: your phone and your computer is. That's the centerpiece of your world. That's like your living room. And mm-hmm. someone like Jimmy the lock and like put it on your counter. Like thanks to the <laughs> CD, but like I didn't ask. <laughs> so it was just a mixed up. They just didn't get it the right way. Whereas if yeah. the they said just click here and you can download it, it may have been a wholly different thing. Yeah,
0: they give it yeah. away for free that way and you could choose. Maybe that would be different. Oh, you, I've got a burning question I can see. You've been holding your hand for a while. That's
5: Kyle. Oh. Um, yeah, so Kyle? I <laughs> uh, for the music identification app. Uh-huh. And a, a fair point for an entire panel about Discovery is that two of the largest music discovery apps today are arguably uh, Shazam and Soundhound. As you're living your busy life and music intersects with it, you can easily identify what song is playing, get it on iTunes, or sync it instantly to any of your streaming music services. Mm-hmm. And uh, those are the two apps that have established themselves as utilities on you know, iPhone and Android. And I think is a primary way that people are discovering music as an intersection of their lives, rather than as it comes apart of other music experiences.
0: Except when you want to know what a certain song is, and it doesn't, ha- it's not in the database. I've had that happen before. Yeah. 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 Then you're like, now I cannot discover this music, this that's- The
5: majority of people are identifying music that is popular. You can almost guarantee it from mm-hmm. the
6: data. Uh-huh.
5: People are identifying the new Taylor Swift song, they're identifying a track that's playing on Walking Dead. I mean, it's not necessarily unheard of brandy music that's just emerging on SoundCloud today.
4: Well, one thing that I really like about the Shazam and Soundhound is that it it allows the people to do things at the time where it, it's, it's appropriate for them, right? It's just like you go through a busy life and you might hear a song on the radio for, from a variety of places and say, oh, that, that's interesting, uh, and but you don't have time to deal with it then. But at a later time, you might have the time not only to listen to that song and research that artist, but then it's a relevant time to say, here's some recommendations on some other things mm-hmm. that you might like while you're in this exploratory mode. So I think that, that bookmarking and really allowing people to do things on their schedule, especially as they're busy, uh, is, is a crucial element in, in this discovery.
2: The new um, Shazam desktop app um, is actually quite cool. It's, just, it's almost like scrobbling for all, all times in life, like what mm-hmm. Last of Them used to do. Um, you just whatever is being played in the background. If you're at a cafe or your a friend's house, you can have your laptop mm-hmm. open. It just captures it. Yeah, it's pretty cool. There was a question
8: back there, sir.
0: I think we've only got okay. we've got a couple more yeah he's got the mic oh,
8: sorry um, so uh, I, I just want to say the first thing I don't I don't necessarily agree that it music has become a less priority I think it's just more dissolved I like to this guy I was saying before into our everyday lives like everything has like a music component to it now because there's such an easy way to attach an mp3 player to a speaker almost anywhere but uh, my question, I guess, for you guys, especially on the uh, edge of discovery, you know, let's just ro- to walk through a hypothetical situation. If there's an artist that has you a thousand dollars, you know they've been working on this amazing song, it's am- they, they think it's perfect, the world would love it in these certain situations. Like, what is your opinion that their next steps for them to go? Because I know there's lots of options for a consumer to like, make lots of different playlists and find different things, but on the other side where the creator is trying to also cut through all the noise, mm-hmm. um, nice. it doesn't yeah. seem to be the same kind of, uh, I guess, push.
3: Um, that's, a, that's, the, that's a big question. Yeah, I mean, I, t- I work with a lot of independent artists and that's that thousand that dollars is the budget to a lot of times to make, to decide what to do with it. Do you hire a publicist, do you do a street team thing, do you make a, a Press up a seven-inch or twelve-inch, like that's still an unsolved part of the business, and it's definitely a crapshoot, and that's why the music industry is so treacherous. Is because it it always has the allure of the big score, but it's also hard to know what to do with that that first impulse. And I think the beauty is now you can kind of beta test, right? You can do you can put up a SoundCloud and be like the people who actually follow you, do they like it, and see if it, how it goes. I mean, there's probably a lot of ideas in the panel here. I don't wanna. This
2: question. Yeah, I was just going to say that I think finding a curator that appreciates that music <clears throat> and, and who has a uh, substantial following on Facebook and Twitter is probably one good, good start. Um, I have a friend who's at the back here who probably would want to answer this, but there's a, he started a service called Fluence, which is actually designed to do just that, um, where uh, creators can submit their works to curators uh, who can review them uh, and get paid. And then, if they actually like the content, then they can promote it out on their blog or wherever they have their audience.: yeah.
0: uh, I think we have time for maybe two more questions. You right who was I don't know which one was first, right? <laughs> this guy right back here. Okay. Seven minutes. Oh, we got more time. Hey
9: um, oh, it's, I'm Chris Zachos. So I- where Gary's my boss at StubHub, um, I'm the product manager at StubHub Music. I think one of the things we're not mentioning is demographics, so it depends who you're talking about. So if you're talking about younger people, YouTube is by far the way that people consume music. And so you have to be looking at YouTube as a source for one of those signals. Um, we're much older in this room, and so you're talking about NPR and those types of things, which is great <laughs> for us. But most but people, we're the ones
0: with the money. They're...
9: Well, I mean, <laughs> that's the most. <laughs> though you could argue, how did Taylor Swift get to number one, and and all these other ones? So you have to think about where, who are you trying to market to? And then, as a music junkie, I'm constantly posting about music. So that signal that person who is really into music if someone trusts you they're going to follow you that's why beats is saying you know we have to have um, curators eight um, tracks is about curators bora has in his app the ability to see who else is going to a show and you're like oh so and so is going it must be good let me look at it so you have to look at many different signals and understand who your target demographic is um, so Boris chosen, like, no, I don't want to focus on Taylor Swift. I want to focus at, on these upcoming artists. I'm a promoter. I have good relationships. These people want to, you know, break out and that sort of thing. So that's great. You know, at StubHub, we have, you know, we do the secondary market. And now we have a huge database of primary as well. So we know what's going on. And so we can, you know, promote that. So I think it just depends on who you're trying to target. And you can try to do it for everybody, but it, that's going to be really hard to do. So yeah, just my two sons.
1: Chris is super right about the demographics. You know, 18 to 24-year-olds um, are 55% of our audience who listen to electronic music. Uh, that's our primary audience. Uh, 24 to 35, 38% of our users who listen to like, indie music and electronic. And even within electronic music, it differs. Like People who listen to dubstep and trap share way more than people who listen to minimal techno because, you know, too cool. So, uh, (laughs) you know, understanding different behaviors of people who listen to, because their lifestyles in the end and the way they interact with music is very different.
0: Hmm. Um, Gentleman in the red hat.
1: My
4: name's Henry Chatfield, I'm uh, AR with Pledge Music. Uh, My question is about monetization, so discovery is amazing. I love what you guys are doing. But the next step is, okay, then what? How does the artist make money? Uh, would argue that Pandora is kind of the mainstream in terms of discovery and curation, uh, but they have a really low monetization upon discovery. So you know, you can steal it, stream it, download it, but there's still not a lot of money for the artist. I feel like you guys, what you're doing is kind of a reaction to that, and you're creating these new, really awesome ways to monetize for artists. Uh, my question is, Kind of when you guys were developing your your business plans, were there some crazy, weird monetization ideas that would you know make more money for the artists right upon discovery, um, or just kind of like I w- I'm just curious as if you thought about that or or yeah.
1: Yeah, well, our most recent subscription for concert experiment really follows that you know. Um, so the idea is to how do we get more people out to concerts right i i had uh, coffee with somebody from spotify and he told me bora everybody in america listens to music a very small portion of people who live in america go to concerts it's true right so but when you ask them they actually want to go but they don't go so there's a disconnect mm-hmm. so how, how can we change that so we started uh, polling people you know would you do like an unlimited no, I wouldn't. Why not? I don't go to concerts, so I, I wouldn't pay. Like, how much? Like $100? No, no way. 90, 80, 60. Like, We started bringing the price down. Uh, 40? No. Nope. 30? No. Nope. 25? Which venues would I be able to go to? I like, said so the answer changed. We're like, all right, we're going somewhere. You know? uh, so really try to experiment with the psychology that way. And, and the idea is, so these are the people who don't buy concert tickets, right? They don't go to concerts. How can we turn them into new people to the industry? Because you know, like if the concert is half sold, the artist is making, I mean, sometimes, a lot of the times, especially in electronic music, the artists get paid flat fee anyway. So even if it's like one person or 1,000 people, they still make the same money. But in different kinds of genres, like indie and rock, there's like a door split kind of a thing. Uh, and obviously, I'm talking about live music. You know, your answers will be different. So we're like, how do we bring new people you know, because there's that known half the tickets go unsold, it's like 28, 29, 30 billion dollars left on the table problem. So this can be introduced to the market, right? So promoters are booking usually. You know, electronic music venues have Thursday, Friday, Saturdays. But nobody has anything on Mondays and Tuesdays. So it's kind of weird. Can you imagine actually going to the office only on the weekends, and Mondays and Tuesdays are off? I mean, we never actually think about it this way, but venues operate like this. Most of the times, nothing happens there. It's, it's such a waste, right? So we're thinking, if we can change the psychology of people who interact with music, so instead of, so they told us, I'm not going to buy tickets for things that I don't already love but if you actually get them to pay something up front, can we get them to go out and introduce hmm. this new revenue to the market that didn't exist before, which isn't in any way gonna cannibalize existing ticket sales, but, and then get more people to go, book more nights, venues would be busy like every night of the week. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of how we're thinking about new type of revenue for the industry.
4: Hmm. And at, at, at Stava, you know, clearly we have a, you know, a ticketing uh, and, and a live events focus and, and our goal in, in really looking at discoveries that you know we believe they're they're strongly connected if we could help people discover whether it's new artists or one more artist I'm interested and then you know help them to find you know match them you know to use your term match make them to, to the right show we can help, actually help them monetize their, their from the live event side it's not a new revenue stream but it's one that we feel could could be done better
3: I think what you guys are doing is amazing like I'm a big fan of Banji and Pledge, and I think it's really like a good direction. We're on the same impulse as far as like getting more monetization options for fans and artists. Um, But I I think the funnel, the funnel of becoming a fan is still needs to get, and then what you're talking about is getting more people into music and comfortable going to shows and Mm -hmm. giving money too. I think it's like all of this has to happen to arrive at a customer who's at a drip or a, a pledge. And so I think it takes all of this to move the market, but we need better, just great artists, too, who can make a living doing what they do to be able to even have them get to the level that they can. I guess the Amanda Palmer book, I haven't read it yet, but I'm curious how it is, because it's about sort of being scrappy and DIY and like not being afraid to ask for help, and that's like a huge psychological shift that's happened in the last 10 years where artists are comfortable and fans are comfortable with that interaction, I think. Um, It's very cool. It's very optimistic.
2: And in, um, in our world, artists can get paid twice. They get paid with the normal statutory royalty. And then if they do get turned on to a track they like, they can either go buy it on iTunes. Um, uh, we also, um, you know, we think about ways that we might integrate with on-demand services. So once you do uh, favorite a track, for example, on, on eight tracks, then it adds it to your, your library over on Spotify. And so there's more opportunity to listen to that more frequently and drive up the plays. Mm. Um, we're also talking to Benji.
0: Yeah. We gotta finish, I'm sorry, yeah, but uh, feel free to talk to our panel members right after. And thank you everyone, really good questions.